Have you been interested in trying the new cutting-edge technology of exogenous ketones but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com slash Jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketone supplement you can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat ketogenic diet with Perfect Keto Exogenous Ketones will have your body running optimally. Perfect Keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors. Each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium, potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at Perfect Keto com slash Jimmy and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. If you're a fan of fat, then you need to try the F-bombs. Go to JimmyLovesFbomb.com, enter the coupon code JimmyLovesFbomb, and you'll get 20% off of your first order. So what are these F-bombs? They are nut butters, and they have incredible combinations of coconut and macadamia nut, macadamia nut butters, and my favorite is salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. They also have several oil blends, including the house blend, the MCT oil, as well as coconut oil. If you want your fat on the go, then you need to check out JimmyLovesFBomb.com. And once again, use the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb. You'll get 20% off your first order. JimmyLovesFBomb.com. The information and opinions provided here are for educational purposes only and are not intended to provide individual medical advice. Material conversations and statements found herein are not intended as and does not substitute for a personalized doctor-patient relationship. It's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and functional medicine practitioner Dr. Will Cole. They're here every Thursday answering your questions about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. Now, it's time to drop some keto knowledge on Keto Talk. Keto Talk. Here's Jimmy and Will. Hey, hey, guys. We're back here on episode 135 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. KetoTalk.com is our website, and you can also connect with your fellow Ketonians on our Facebook page over at KetoTalkFB.com. And we're here each and every Thursday answering your questions all about low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, ketogenic diets. My name's Jimmy Moore, international best-selling author of Keto Clarity and the brand-new book, Real Food Keto, and I'm joined by my functional medicine practitioner co-host, his name, Dr. Will Cole. He's also an international best-selling author with the book Ketotarian. If you haven't picked up a copy, go get one. Uh, DrWillCole.com is his website. What's up, Will? What's up, Jimmy? How's your week going? 
Oh, man, this has just been a crazy, crazy year uh, so far. <laughs> just so much going on with with keto being popular and just stuff. Yeah, I know. Have, you, no, have you noticed so that, uh, that this year seems to be a little more heightened than typical? Yeah, I definitely. I think as far as people um, on social media, specifically people's interest in what we're talking about, and it's something that I'm excited. It's more people in our, um, we're, we're able to influence them in a positive way. I'm excited about it. And I love that we get to do this show and help put a finer point on some of those points of confusion, which is what we try to do here, not to confuse you, but to, <laughs> to clarify some of those confusing points. So thank you guys for listening today. And we're going to start off with something that uh, sometimes we throw these into the headline section, but this one was too funny not to, uh, <laughs> not to bring up here at the beginning. So, uh, Kellogg's is very well known as a breakfast cereal company, but they have taken uh, what I like to refer to as crappy garbage to a whole nother level, Will, because they've come out with a Peeps cereal <laughs> that uh, it sounds exactly what it sounds like, you guys. It's the little Easter bunny little little bird thingies with the artificial dyes to make them bright yellow and marshmallow. Well, they're now making a cereal version of that Uh Peeps. It's just weird to me how in the midst of keto being this hot diet trend that the food companies still pump out this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's Kellogg's and but all of these huge food companies, a lot of them at least have their hand in more than one basket, so to speak. I mean, yeah. they are. Uh, in the junk food industry still, but they also are the ones buying up these supplement companies and buying up these healthy food companies because they really are realizing, no, this has been our mainstay. Like peeps have been our jam for a long time yeah. as Kellogg's, but now people are interested in wellness. Like what the heck? And they're trying to figure it out. So this is, I think people still want junk food and that's part of the industry. Yeah. I mean, especially around the holiday times with peeps and it's spring around the corner uh, and people around Easter time. I've never had a peep before. Does that make me like un-American? They're gross, actually. You, you haven't missed much. Uh, I, I never liked them. Even when I was the sugarist of the sugar burner, um, they were always disgusting to me. But the most fun you can have with peeps is putting them in the microwave and watching them explode. That's the best part of peeps, I guess. But <laughs> My 12-year-old son would like that a lot. Yes, yeah. I, I want to see that on Instagram. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Blowing up a peeps in the microwave. Although uh, anybody that catches Will Cole buying peeps, I'm going to pay you money to, for that video. So uh, <laughs> just kidding, Mr. Real Food. Well, let's get to <laughs> let's get to the serious part of the show. Hot topics. The beginning of the show, we always uh, have these topics that are of interest in the keto community. And the first one here, how can you get a freestyle Libre Flash glucose monitor prescribed by a physician without being diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic. So I recently wore one of these during my uh, keto carnivore experiment I've been doing. And so I got a bunch of questions from people. How do I get that? Do I need a physician's uh, prescription? I'm not diabetic. So how do I get that? How'd you get that? And so it's so many questions. Can you get one of these uh, if, you, if you're not a diabetic? You can get one, uh, but you're going to need some sort of uh, diagnosis code. You need some coding done to have it covered by insurance. You can't just uh, have it covered, you know, without a reason. Does um, insulin resistance I, count? Yeah, insulin resistance can help. Every count. Everybody's insurance is different. Everybody has different different coverages and 
what certain insurances will and won't cover. Right. They may they may may not cover that for your specific insurance, but they're going to need something where it doesn't necessarily have to be type two diabetes, but some blood sugar problem, some insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, dysglycemia. These are all things that, in theory, uh, doctors could uh, code for this. Now, the individual uh, insurance coverage is going to be the other variable. So what if you paid out of pocket? Is it just a matter of getting a doctor to write the script? Yeah, well, no. I, if you do not go through insurance, you may be able to get that without a prescription. You oh, may really? be able to just pay that as cash. Yeah, I'm not How would sure you do that? Would you just go to the pharmacy and say, hey, I want to pay for a freestyle yeah. Libre? Really? Yeah, I'm not sure specifically on freestyle, but in general, getting glucometers or continuous glucose monitors, if you're willing to pay cash, they're going to... They're going to, you're going to be able to get them cash, wow. uh, but insurance coverage is the variable there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, they specifically with glucometers, you can, I mean, they're giving those away now specifically freestyle. They may have some different yeah. rules. Um, normally my patients are getting them through insurance. Right. Um, but, but yeah. Well, in the freestyle Libre, which just came to America right about a year ago, it's been in Europe for years and around the world, but here in America. So so, yeah, it's really not that expensive. I mean, the 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 meter itself is around sixty, seventy dollars. It's the sensors that you get. You know, you can buy several sensors and each of the sensors, which lasts you about 12 days. Uh, those are about uh, fifty dollars a piece. So if you're willing to spend that out of pocket, um, maybe I'll go up to my Walgreens or something and see if, hey, can I get a freestyle Libre sensor and just see what they say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they may, I mean, there are different health savings accounts and flex fund accounts. Yes. I've had patients uh, buy glucometers on their own and then get reimbursed that way too. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's get to the second hot topic. Can going keto be a part of the healing process for Graves' disease? So Graves' disease is an autoimmune thyroid disease. It is, whereas Hashimoto's, you have hypo and hyper, you can have thyroid storms where it's hyper and then there's moments of hypo, but specifically Graves' disease is, is classified as strictly an autoimmune hyperthyroidism. Uh, so you measure it by um, measuring a lab called thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, looking at thyroid hormones and these antibodies against the thyroid proteins. Now, uh, without a doubt, an aspect of balancing the immune system is foods. And the ketogenic diet, as we know, when it's done uniquely for the individual and whatever that specific food medicines within the paradigm of, of a ketogenic diet, using food as medicine is a powerful tool to modulate the immune system, to balance the immune system, which is central uh, to anybody with any autoimmune condition, Graves' disease being one of them. So it's definitely, as this question implies, part of the healing process, something that I've seen uh, be a great tool for people to use. Uh, not only with Graves' disease, but other autoimmune diseases as well. Yeah, when I saw that one, I was like, okay, it's autoimmune disease. So there's certainly no downside to eating real whole foods. Yeah, absolutely. Decreasing sugar, avoiding foods that are inflammatory, that will throw off the immune system. Uh, so yes, the real food component, but also the anti-inflammatory benefits of yes. beta-hydroxybutyrate too. I've heard that. <laughs> well, let's get to the third hot topic. What role does keto specifically specifically play in helping to blow out the SIBO, as Will has described it on a previous episode? I don't remember that exact phrase where you said that keto blows out SIBO, but it, it's a cool uh, concept. Does it work? <laughs> I don't think I've ever said blow out the SIBO. 
But she okay. said, quote, unquote, in the email. I went, okay, yeah. we'll go with that. If I said that, it was an out-of-body experience. <laughs> I don't remember saying blow out the seabo. I apologize for ever saying blow out the seabo. It's a cool <laughs> phrase. <laughs> it's a cool phrase. Kind of strange, but blow out the seabo. So basically, if I said it, what I meant was in a more, you know, well-spoken way, uh, it is one way to help balance out the microbiome which small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO is fueled um, by high carbohydrates and sugar and starches and things like that. So uh, limiting FODMAPs, which are those fermentable sugars yeah. uh, in a lot of foods that you're avoiding on the ketogenic diet is one way to dampen uh, SIBO response. And SIBO, classic SIBO symptoms are progressive bloating throughout the day, Quite can be quite extreme bloating, actually. It's also linked to acid reflux and GERD, uh, and it's associated with different autoimmune problems as well. So it's definitely a tool uh, limiting uh, these higher carb foods, sugar foods, fermentable uh, sugars in these certain uh, fruits and even high, uh, certain vegetables. We modify the ketogenic diet to be low FODMAP. Um, which inherently it is in many ways, but we just have to tweak a few things here and there. Yeah. For example, onions and garlic are higher FODMAPs. They still would be considered within the ketogenic paradigm where we would just ver you know, to make it a low FODMAP ketogenic diet for people with SIBO. Yeah, when you talk for an hour a week on this podcast, there's no telling what you say, uh, Will. <laughs> <laughs> Blow out the SIBO. Let's make Blow it into a t-shirt. Blow out the SIBO. That's a new hashtag for Will. <laughs> Well, let's get to the fourth hot topic. Why would skin get more sensitive and even uh, develop eczema once you get keto adapted? Now, some people uh, talk about getting like this keto rash. I've heard this talked about before and, and we've discussed it before in the past. But why would this happen? More sensitivity and eczema being developed on the skin. Normally, it's the opposite. Uh, normally, people with eczema and other inflammatory skin issues I see very much improvement with the ketogenic diet for many reasons. Uh, so let's just keep that in mind that this mm -hmm. is whatever, whoever answered this, asked this question, it's not the majority of people, Atypical. normally skin issues yeah. improve. Um, but the thing called the keto rash um, can definitely, some people can see that. Uh, there's debate as far as the mechanism of action there and what's driving that. I tend to think it has something to do with die-off in the microbiome through the gut-skin axis, basically the connection between your gut and your skin. Um, and when you're burning fat and starting using fat for fuel, if there are any toxins in the fat cells, that can be another component too, based on the individual. So I could see this. If someone has a higher toxic load, has some underlying gut dysbiosis or bacterial overgrowth or yeast overgrowth, when you are uh, starting to kill these things off and burning fat for fuel and your body's readjusting, I could see this making certain skin conditions uh, worse for a time uh, during this during this uh, healing time. Now, um, that would be the, the top thing of what I would say. That's not the majority of people, though. Yeah, when I read that, I said, no, it's just the opposite. <laughs> it gets better. Yeah. Well, let's get to the final, uh, fifth and final hot topic. What role does a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic lifestyle play in dealing with the inflammatory condition known as hyperhomocysteinemia, which is just high homocysteine levels, which is an inflammation marker? Yeah, so the functional range for homocysteine, the optimal range that we use in functional medicine is yep. below 7. And uh, 
the op, the reference range will vary from lab to lab because, as we know, those reference ranges are not standardized in most cases. They're just based on people who go to labs. So a higher homocysteine, it's linked to cardiovascular, you know, heart inflammation. It's associated with neuroinflammation or brain inflammation. Um, so how could it, what role does it play? It's because you're eating foods that support methylation, which homocysteine is basically a product of methylation, which is this big, super fancy, super sophisticated, super biochemical highway that does a lot of good things for our brain, our hormones, our detoxification pathways. It protects DNA and homocysteine needs to be recycled down. Uh, but certain uh, epigenetic problems, so poor lifestyle, stress, poor diet, uh, that can be one reason of high homocysteine. And uh, also different genetic SNPs like M MTHFR, which is a specific gene mutation. Uh, you can have one mutation or two mutations of things like MTHFR and other genes too that we look at in functional medicine that can genetically predispose certain people to higher homocysteine as well. So how do you mitigate that? Whether it's epigenetic, genetic, or both, um, we can use food to uh, support and improve epigenetics, but also overcompensate for any genetic mutation, basically giving your body more of what it needs because it's not so good at doing it on its own. So either way, a healthy real food ketogenic diet is a great way to recycle homocysteine down or bring inflammation levels down in the form of homocysteine, which is pro-inflammatory. Um, now, specifically, those are going to be uh, wild-caught fish, grass-fed beef, organ meat is the highest source of that, um, as well as green leafy vegetables like spinach uh, and sulfur-rich vegetables. Uh, things with B vitamins is really the, the take-home. It's a folate issue, a, a B12 issue. These are the cofactors and vitamins that are act as methyl donors. They're basically carbon-hydrogen groups that help bring that homocysteine inflammation all on down to a healthy balance level below seven. So, Will, is a homocysteine level your go-to for measuring inflammation, or do you do IGF-1, do you do HSCRP, and kind of look at all of them, and do they look at inflammation in different ways? Yeah, they look at inflammation in different ways. The more perspectives that you have on inflammation, the better, because homocysteine is pro-inflammatory. It's one sign of inflammation, but it's not the full totality of inflammation levels in the body. And same with high sensitivity C-reactive protein or measuring them for high ferritin or looking at how calprotectin, these other labs that we look at, you can have normal levels of some of these, but be in states of inflammation because it's just looking at one surrogate lab, one aspect of this full landscape of inflammation, this uh, hyperinflammation level that is linked to just about every chronic health problem out there. Yeah. So you want to look at as much biomarkers as you can look at to get a really good thorough uh, you know, all the pieces to the puzzle as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all the hot topics we have. So let's get to the kickoff question of the day. This one's from Carolyn. Hi, Jimmy and Will. Several several months ago, my elder sisters, 71 and 72 years old, started keto after seeing how well it worked for me. I'm quite a bit younger at 57. They're well on their way to weight loss goals, but they've recently noticed that there might be some age-related and gender-related considerations for these women who are over 70. Would you guys talk about what these things are and what they should be thinking about? Thank you. So Carolyn's question is, are there any age and gender-specific considerations with keto to be aware of? Well, I, you... 
when it comes down to it, what we're talking about in the context of keto, the keto, of keto talk and how Jimmy and I advocate the ketogenic diet, it's with real foods. Yeah. We're talking about real nutrient-dense foods. This is not an extreme uh, crash dieting. This is not dirty keto. I think that you are getting everything you need in a well-formulated real food ketogenic diet, no matter what age you are. There can be a few uh, tweaks on uh, focus more on this food or less on this food, but that's not just age or gender. That's just also energy level, like how much energy are you putting out throughout the day? What is your stress levels? What are the all these other variables that we're looking at? So uh, not a blanket statement. You want to make sure you're focusing on healthy fats. You want to focus. You want to focus on moderate amount of protein and lower carbohydrates. But that's applied to anybody. How you specifically tweak that is going to, of course, age is a component to it. But it's not a presiding over. It's not a primary um, concern for me for for anybody. Uh, it's more of just looking at the individual as as an individual running labs uh, and seeing what their baseline is, and then tailoring. Uh, ketogenic diet to the individual. Um, but no, I mean, if you look at the benefits for senior citizens and the ketogenic diet, the improvements that can have on our brain function yeah. and improving uh, brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF, improving uh, the immune system and lowering inflammation, improving uh, healing time. Uh, this is all great stuff. Lowering blood sugar when we look at the rates of diabetes in, in elderly people. So no, I think that the the ketogenic diet done with real foods is a good starting place. And then from there, you can tweak it. So things like when we talk about moderating carbs on a certain day for women with their cycle, like there are some things that I would say maybe for women, they I find as a functional medicine practitioner, maybe doing more with women more than age. But even then, you cannot make a blanket statement and say all women benefit from that. That's not true. If she has insulin resistance or she's uh, you know, going through different inflammatory health problems, I wouldn't do that. So it's uh, about the individual more than about age and gender. Although we would be remiss if we didn't mention that as you get older, there may be markers that your doctor uh, is looking at, for example, cholesterol that might be higher, which would cause them to want to prescribe you a statin medication, for example. And so that's something you need to be aware of, that when you go keto, that you may have that higher level of, of uh, cholesterol, but it doesn't mean necessarily that something's gone wrong in your health, which is why we talk about cholesterol so much on this show, trying to get you to look at the triglyceride to HDL ratio and actually look at the subfractions of the LDL particles with that NMR lipoprofile that we talk about. So that would be something, I suppose, if we were trying, Carolyn, to uh, give them things to consider, their doctor may go a little bit crazy on them saying, oh, well, look what that keto has done to your cholesterol when higher cholesterol is actually a good thing at that age. Yeah, and yeah, sadly, they do that for all ages, though, too. Yes. But I think it's important to mention just because for talking about senior citizens, they may be more apt to um, not question what the doctor's saying or get right. a second opinion, et cetera. But actually, if anybody comes into a doctor with with a higher cholesterol, they're going to they're going to normally have a conversation about it. But it freaks out older people, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they came from the generation where they know everything. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Carolyn, for that question. And we're going to pause here and we'll be back with today's health headlines. 
Are you looking for a quick keto meal that has not just a little bit of protein in it, but also all the electrolytes, vitamins, protein, fat, and more that will meet one third of your daily needs? Then let me introduce you to Keto Chow. It's a quick and easy to mix shake that is designed to give you a complete ketogenic meal. You're able to customize the calories because you decide how much fat to add. Most people mix it with heavy whipping cream, but you can also use avocado oil, coconut cream, a little MCT oil, or any other fat of your choice. Keto Chow is designed specifically for people on the go to replace one to two meals in their day. It comes in eight flavors, including chocolate, vanilla, chocolate peanut butter, cookies and cream, strawberry, mocha, banana, and salted caramel in both individual meal samples as well as a large 21 meal bag. There's also a sample of all the things bundle that has one of each flavor plus a keto chow blender bottle to get you started. Head on over to jimmyloveskitochow.com and use the coupon code LLVLC to get 10% off of your first order. jimmyloveskitochow.com We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, and we're up to the health headlines section of the show. This is where we take a look at what's making news in the world of health and offering our commentary about it. This first one made me so mad, Will. It's from Libertyon, Finnish doctor persecuted for his book, A Life Without Drugs. Oh, my gosh. So he's produced a book that says A Life Without Drugs, and that's controversial. A Finnish medical doctor named Antti, and I'm going to slaughter his name, Haikila, has fallen prey to an unprecedented persecution by Finland's globalist elite for the crime of publishing a book all about the importance of a healthy lifestyle. He argues that a correct diet and exercise is your best option for staying healthy and leading a life without drug dependency. He convincingly puts forth a theory that chronic ailments and mass diseases of Western civilization are all caused by the excess consumption of sugars uh, and leads to conditions like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, blood pressure, cholesterol, Alzheimer, and more. Therefore, all carbohydrates must be considered as sugar, and thus the problem is with eating cereal-based foods, breads, pastas, and also potatoes. He argues for a ketogenic diet. And we know what that means. So, man, you know, here is a doctor trying to help his patients and to educate and, you know, providing a book. He wrote his version of Keto Terry and Will uh, trying to help people come off of drugs. And um, now he's getting persecuted for that. What do you think about this? Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's kind of the scary world that we live in as far as giving just health information can be so radical. Um and so offensive to some people that they try to shut them up and and, and shut them down. Um, they actually, in the article, they compare in many ways, uh, the author said it reminds them of the persecution that Galileo um, had uh, when he went against the doctrines of the Catholic Church at that point. And I mean, yeah. I think there is, to, to some degree, uh, this sort of vitriolic, it's not obviously people are not dying at this point over over this information, which is different than persecution of, of at that time, but uh, it is it can shut people's career down. It can completely blacklist them from from ever having a career um, just by talking about nutrition. And we've seen that with other doctors in other countries. Um, 
But, you know, it's, I think you're on to something when you are, your voice is resonating that loudly and it could be that <laughs> offensive when, and how far have we gone off track when that is radical, when eating real food is radical. But when you come against huge interests like the pharmaceutical industry, there are certain people within that, within that in industry uh, that find that offensive, but not the entire industry. I mean, I have many patients that work in the pharmaceutical industry and they actually agree uh, with what we're doing. So I, I don't know if it's all corrupt like that, but um, there's certain different separate pockets that would definitely drive people out of business. Well, kudos to this gentleman for his bravery. Uh, the article says he's a pretty smart guy and old enough uh, to have earned uh, his spot to be independent about this <laughs> and mm -hmm. that he lives in Hamburg, uh, Germany now, far away from where all this nonsense is happening but anyway, Finnish doctor, unfortunately, um, that's happening and it could come here. That's that's why I wanted to talk about this here today is you just never know where, where this tide could turn. Well, let's get to the next headline. Keto diet high in fat and popularity, but is it healthy and sustainable? This is from the Irish Times. According to some critics, the ultra low carb ketogenic diet is a socially acceptable form of disordered eating. So that's what they're claiming here. Uh, and so they, they go on to describe the ketogenic diet and they have a registered nutritionist is writing this and, and she's skeptical and she's making this claim that it's all about the disordered eating. It's a very long article, so definitely go read it, you guys. But what did you think about her conclusions? It's a good piece overall. I mean, it's a, quite a big piece. I, I like in general, it sparks conversation, you know, and, and in general, you know, most of these articles are dramatic. They, they've like very extreme statements about it. Um, but uh, I think it does open up a conversation for people, but n nothing new as far as <laughs> they weren't bringing anything new to the conversation in this piece. Well, what was funny was one of the points in the piece was, well, one solution to all these diets like keto and all these other ones is just uh, intuitively eating to me, Will. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more intuitive than eating to satiety with a well-formulated ketogenic diet. I, I have found this to be the easiest, most satisfying, most gratifying. And oh, yeah, by the way, I get benefits from doing it at the same time. Intuitive diet there is. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's get to the next health headline. Inside the rise of keto, how an extreme diet went mainstream. There's your, there's your uh, uh, sensationalist headline that you like. This is out of Men's Health. Meet the bodybuilders, biohackers, scientists, doctors, and hucksters all behind the buzziest thing in nutrition. So it gives a little bit of the history as to why keto has become a thing. And of course, they, they cite Joe Rogan talking about it and they bring in Dr. Atkins and how he was the first one to bring the K word on board. He, they also mentioned Steve Finney, uh, you know, putting his name out there with research, Dominique D'Agostino. Uh, on and on and on. Tim Ferriss also talking about it going keto. He got Lyme disease and, and went keto. Um, so, so many players. Uh, interesting, they didn't mention keto clarity at all. I thought that was funny. Uh, I thought I was going to be one of the hucksters that they mentioned. But anyway, <laughs> it was an interesting piece as to what they thought brought on this keto revolution. But I think they missed a huge element. People really wanted to sincerely find something that could help them 
I don't think it's just a weight loss revolution. I think keto has come on strong because people are recognizing all these other health benefits that are going along. And oh, yeah, by the way, you can lose weight doing it, too. But a lot of people are doing it for all of the reasons not weight loss. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think in general, I was impressed by this piece in the sense of that it did cover all the sort of social media aspects of it and the popularization of just almost the the voices uh, of the ketogenic diet as, as a general rule. I thought it was an interesting piece. They brought new information that the other articles that you're seeing online actually don't talk about. Um, so for what it's worth, I thought it was an interesting read. Yeah, for men's health. <laughs> yeah, for men's health. Yeah. yeah. Well, the next headlines from Greatest, 12 keto-friendly foods that aren't as low-carb as you think. So a lot of people, they they start keto and they're eating a lot of things that they think are pretty low in carbs. So let's look at their list. Uh, plain yogurt, which I'm assuming they mean uh, full-fat yogurt, blueberries, tomato sauce, barbecue sauce, kombucha, cashews, chia seeds, Italian sausage, jerky, taco seasoning, salad dressings, pumpkin seeds, and all of these things, they say, deliver a, a lot more powerful punch of carbs than people expect. Now, a few of them, like the barbecue sauce and, and, and you know, blueberries, which is just sugar, even though it's a low sugar fruit, it's still got sugar, um, are obvious. But some of the ones are not so obvious. Did anything uh, stand out to you as to maybe what your patients consume and, and they think they're being good keto? Well, the like the barbecue sauce and other condiments they obviously are talking about conventional ones because there's many keto keto oh, yeah. options that you can do that quite fine. Yes. Uh, well, I didn't, she doesn't talk about, well, she's going off of total carbs and she's mentioning things like pumpkin seeds and jerky uh, and the cashews, obviously. And she's not looking at specifically for these plant keto foods. Um, yeah. She's just looking at total carbs and not the fiber content, which mm -hmm. the, I mean, I, I know there's a debate in the ketogenic community about that. But I think the fiber in these for a lot of people um, will increase uh, intestinal gluconeogenesis, actually help with the production of butyrate, actually lower insulin levels. Uh, I don't think it's a negative thing. It's not the same as having, you know, 20 grams of, of sugar um, from, you know, candy or something without any fiber and it's not a real food. So, you know, I get it. I get what they're saying here. They're basing it off of the 20 or 25 grams of carbs. And they're saying, look what this looks like. And they're showing uh, how much total carbs could be in these real foods. She just didn't mention fiber. I do like, though, that they're at least putting on the radar screen of people that would go keto that don't just rely on, well, that sounds like a keto food. So let me just have that willy nilly without actually knowing what they're putting in their mouth. Uh, especially for someone with insulin resistance who may need to keep those carbohydrates at the lower level. Totally. Yeah. And they, they and you, you should read, you should read nutrition labels. If it's a real food, look at the nutrition facts, Yeah. look at the total carbs, look at the fiber and then eat to your tolerance to carbohydrates. Yeah. Avocado was one she missed too, that you could ostensibly say has a good amount of carbohydrates in it as well, that, a lot of people love avocado, and so do I. I love avocados when I'm not eating yeah. keto carnivore. I'm, I'm eating avocados. Uh, very healthy for you. Well, yeah, and higher carbs, but more, a lot of fiber too. For sure. Well, let's get to the last uh, health headline. This one's from the Business Insider. The keto diet was accidentally discovered in 1862 by a funeral director who lost 52 pounds on a diet of cordial and meat. Of course, they're talking about William Banting. 
It's so funny because we didn't have the term ketogenic till 1921, but he accidentally discovered keto. Uh, he, he discovered the benefits of it, that's for sure, because he started feeling better. Uh, after eliminating starches and sugars from his diet, he felt more comfortable and happier than he had in decades. And of course, he went on to write uh, the very first international best-selling book, uh, Letter on Corpulence, in 1863. And uh, it pretty much was the precursor. And I, I think if we forget from whence this diet came uh, and, and the pioneers like William Banting, everybody likes to look at Dr. Atkins, but Dr. Atkins stole it from Pennington. And Pennington stole it from uh, Banting's works. <laughs> and Banting got it from, from the doctor that, that prescribed this for him. So it's really fascinating that they're going back and they're, they're teaching people the history about where this keto thing came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really cool piece because so much of, you know, people's articles, they start with the research about epilepsy and that sort of burgeoning mid 20th century research. But it does predate that. And if you look even throughout human history, they didn't call it the ketogenic diet, but healthy fats, uh, fasting, these are things that people would have used for a long time for them, actually the majority of human history. Right. But in modern times, this was definitely a neat piece of history to look at this evolution of the ketogenic diet. Yeah. Hunter gatherers, when they had a big animal kill, don't you know, they went right for the brain and <laughs> the fattiest yeah. parts of the, of the animal. And then they went long periods of time of fasting. And so that they yeah. were doing like paleo keto long before those things were a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's all the health headlines that we had for today, but we do have a great study here. Uh, speaking of fasting, uh, that we want to talk about. So this headline, fasting appears to reset crucial clock on aging related diseases. And when the body's clock goes out of sync, a well-timed fast might set them back on track again. So each of the trillion of trillions of cells in our bodies has a tiny internal clock. And when all those clocks are synchronized, they tell us when to wake up, burn calories and go to sleep. But when they lose their beat, we become vulnerable to all sorts of aging-related diseases. The author of a recent paper in Cell Reports thinks that there's a simple way to re reset those clocks if they get off rhythm. It comes down to fasting. Uh, so it talks about circadian rhythm and how fasting, if you get off on your circadian rhythm, can kind of help get you back on track again. What do you think about this one? Such a neat study. I mean, I really... Um a fresh, uh, fresh look at fasting and the impact it can have on chronic diseases. It said, therefore, optimal fasting in a timed manner would be strategic to confer robust circadian function that, that ultimately benefits health and protects against aging, aging associated diseases. So I, I love it. I think the more and more studies come out, the different mechanisms are at play with fasting and longevity and the ketogenic diet with optimal health and longevity. I I think it's really cool piece. I think everybody should give it a read. Yep. Yep. Well, we're going to pause here real quick and we'll be right back with today's featured questions. 
Yeah, getting healthier, trying to start. You heard all the ketonians talk. Kiss my keto, high in fat. Oh, yeah, low carb. Check it out, so official. Nothing used that's artificial. Products full of electrolytes. Raise your ketones, get you right. Woo, everything on the label. Oh, yeah, 100%. What's listed is what you get from the foods to supplements. Healthy mix of all the fats, few carbs. I'ma be real. And the new ketogenic bar. It's a meal that'll get you far. Yeah, kissmyketo.com. Use LLVLC for 20% off. $50 purchase or more on one order. Yeah. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Ketotalk.com is the website for all the show notes for this episode. And we're up to the first featured question of the day from Colleen. Dear Jimmy and Dr. Cole, I regularly listen to, to Keto Talk. I'm grateful for all your valuable information. I'm five foot six inches tall, weigh 179 pounds, 61 year old woman. I've been keto for a couple of years now. I started eating this way when my family doctor suggested that I might be pre diabetic with a fasting blood glucose of 101. My blood ketones remain in the 1.5 to 2.0 range, so I know I'm burning fat. Initially, I lost 55 pounds, but for some strange reason, I gained back 10 pounds. Although I have a functional medicine practitioner, she's no fan of me trying longer fast because of my hypothyroid is issues, which I take Armour Thyroid for. I've tried changing things up in the way that I'm doing keto, including doing a protein-sparing modified fast with significantly less fat than I typically eat, as well as doing carnivore. These did help me lose some weight, but both gave me problems, and the weight I lost came right back on with my regular keto diet. I'm currently preparing for a women's mini triathlon, one-and-a-half-mile kayak, 11-mile bike, and 3.1-mile walk or run, which takes place next month. I did this last year in a fasted state and did great, but I feel like that's not going to be the case this time around. I'd love to at least remain keto, but I'm thinking mostly uh, being mostly carnivore is where I feel the best. I will add that I will add that my doctor prescribed me gabapentin 100 uh, mg for me to take at night to help with the pain that interferes with my sleep. Do I need to add in additional carbs to what I'm doing to help with these issues, or should I be concerned at all? Thanks, Colleen. So, man, she's got a lot going on, Will. She wants to know uh, what can be done about unexpected weight gain while in nutritional ketosis and are my hypothyroid and pain meds making things more challenging? There's a lot of, of stuff to unpack here, Colleen. Uh, when you're looking at medications, first of all, uh, your thyroid hormones not being optimized, uh, that can be one component to weight loss resistance and something that we've talked a lot about in previous episodes, but looking at a full panel of your thyroid hormones would behoove you because you're on armor thyroid and you want to make sure that you're taking the right dosage for you. Uh, and gabapentin is associated uh, with weight gain for some people. Uh, so that could be another component to making it difficult to lose weight. Some of the things that you uh, said, Colleen, was uh, the fact that you feel better on the carnivore diet. You gain it all back when you stopped it. When I hear these things, it may be, it kind of points to me uh, from a functional medicine standpoint, there are things going on in your gut, in your gut microbiome. The fact that these plant fibers um, uh, can and, and different compounds can be causing some inflammation and immune reactivity and, and slowing down your progress on the ketogenic diet. So I go back to the carnivore diet. If it was working for you at that point, do that for a time while actively healing your gut. I, I don't think it's 
a forever solution without uh, dealing with your gut microbiome and healing your gut. And I, for some people, variety and variability really is a solution though too. So going and, and cycling in and out of carnivore to conventional ketogenic diet back to carnivore, that can keep people's gut microbiome and hormones and metabolism um, more uh, balanced and more uh, vibrant as far as you being able to lose weight. So I would look at obviously adjusting your foods to what you see good success with, but also keeping in mind that variability may also be the reason. And then looking at your thyroid hormones and then talking with your doctor about gabapentin. And to that bigger point, she was taking gabapentin because she was waking up at night and the pain that she was in that was wake causing her to not sleep so well, right. poor sleep can be another impediment to weight loss as well. Uh, so there's also dealing with that circadian rhythm uh, throughout the night and making sure she's getting a good night rest, which can definitely stall uh, weight loss as well. Do you concur with the functional medicine doctor that she sees uh, who d is not a fan of a longer fast with her hypothyroid? Do you concur with that for your hypothyroid patients? No, I don't concur with that. I think that's too simplistic of a view. Um, and you have to look at the individual's labs, but I, I could think of in just my patients over the years, some people with hypothyroidism do really well with extended fasts, um, because we're not just hypothyroid. When someone has a low <laughs> thyroid problem, that's not all that they are. Uh, you have to look at the, did they also have insulin resistance? Do they also have weight loss resistance and thyroid? You have to look at the individual. Um, but yeah, I hear that argument a lot, obviously. You want to look at the numbers, see where they're at, but I don't see it being a blanket statement where you have low thyroid and you can't do longer fast. That's, that's, too, that's too easy of an answer and that's not always true. Yeah. Well, Colleen, thank you for your question. Hope that helped you out. And we're up to the second featured question of the day. This one's from Jess. Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I've listened to all of them in double time so I could digest all the information faster. I want to hear Will Cole's voice in double time. That'll be funny. <laughs> she said, I especially <laughs> like the poop cast and now I refer to Will as the Dr. Pooptacular. You have a new oh, moniker of Dr. Pooptacular. <laughs> and, and then the back of the T-shirt will say blow out the seatbelt. <laughs> uh, you're getting good at this podcast thing. You bring it all together. Uh, in the earlier episodes, I was listening to Dr. Nally mention uh, about long QT as a reason to be uh, monitored by your doctor when you start keto. So this piqued my interest since I deal with this long QT, uh, QT issue. I have an implanted heart monitor that checks for abnormal rhythms 24-7. So I'm assuming that that would catch any issues. Are there any specific precautions that I should be taking with long QT and keto? Mine is the incredibly rare genetic variant long QT type 10, which has to do with a sodium channel pathway. It's most similar to type 3 of the more commonly known types. Signed, your healthiest chronically ill ketonian, Jess. So Jess wants to know uh, what your thoughts are on what Dr. Nally shared about long QT. Are there any specific alterations to keto for people dealing with the condition known as long QT? So long QT syndrome is basically a cardiovascular or heart uh, disorder, uh, specifically with the heart's electrical system, which we need healthy electrolytes, uh, electrolyte functions to have our heart beat properly. So we're looking at calcium and potassium, chloride, sodium. Uh, this is all needed for a proper health electrical system uh, wiring. Um, and people with this long, long QT syndrome 
uh, have these electrical problems and it can cause heart arrhythmias. Uh, so I would say for these people uh, that have problems with sodium ions, et cetera, with depending on the different type that they have, and they, there's genetic variations of this where there's the genetic coding problems with long QT and there's people with acquired ones that have it from different medications and side effects from medications, et cetera. Uh, this person has asked the question was obviously it's a genetic uh, issue uh, and she has problems with the sodium ion. Any change of the diet, any change to our diet can impact uh, the heart for people with these sort of issues. So I think what Dr. Nally was referencing is just to have proper heart, uh, like an electrocardiogram or EKG being monitored with any change in the diet because they're typically being monitored by their doctor anyways. So I haven't listened to exactly what Dr. Nally mentioned, but I would say that what I would say is that if the patient has this sort of genetic disorder and because we are changing any diet, if we're making any change, to be monitored by the doctor because that could throw off electrolytes and impact uh, this person's health. There's no studies to show this being negative. Um, and actually, there's have been studies to show that there hasn't been any changes uh, done when you bring uh, the ketogenic diet in with people with QT interval issues or impacting QT interval in a negative way. Um, specifically, the study done in the journal uh, of clinical neuroscience found that there was actually no statistical significant change in, Q, in QT intervals uh, for people on the ketogenic diet versus not. But as an extra precaution, any sort of uh, genet rare genetic uh, disorder like that, it doesn't hurt to be monitored by your doctor as well. So how common is this either genetic or acquired long QT issue? Is it like 3% of the population? Is it something significant? It's considered rare. Uh, it's about one in 5,000 people. Okay. Uh, and they, they label it as rare. Um, I don't have any patients that with it. It's, it's significantly rare for my patient population. How do you I test don't, for I don't it? See it. Uh, normally, it's electrocardiogram. And people have it because they're, or they're finding it because they have fainting problems. Like uh, they're, they're fainting a lot. Uh, they have seizure issues, and it's being found when people start having seizures or they're fainting, gotcha. and they found this long. They find this long QT problem. Interesting. Well, Jess, thank you for your question, and we're up to the third featured question of the day. This one's from Jody. Hi, Jimmy and Will. I'm a naturopath in Australia. Good eye, and I've been keto for a few months. I had a fairly easy adaptation, but my partner is now having a lot of nausea. He started a couple of weeks ago and got into ketosis in about 48 hours with blood ketones around 1.2. He was doing so well until I made the mistake of giving him some cake that I had made with almond and coconut flour. He almost immediately started feeling sluggish, experienced mental fatigue and fogginess. His blood ketones crashed to under 0.5. He was able to get back into ketosis again, but the nausea and other side effects have been relentless ever since. We've been adding in more salt to try to help. Nothing seems to be helping so far. I feel like I bro broke the momentum that he was having on keto. Would love any suggestions about how to get him back on track again. He came to keto from a mostly fruit-based diet for a year prior to this. I feel my partner has so much to gain from eating this way, coming from a history of chronic fatigue. Thanks for your help, Jody. So Jody wants to know, uh, for her partner, how can someone overcome intense nausea while on a ketogenic diet? I'm just impressed he went from a fruit-based diet 
and was in ketosis within 24 or 48 hours. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is really cool. Uh, well, I, what I would say, Jody, is that uh, you didn't you know, mess it up completely. Don't beat yourself up too much. Uh, and this is all a learning experience for anybody trying this and how food interacts with our body and how that makes us feel. Um, with that said, if someone's nauseous with a ketogenic diet, typically they may just be eating too much fat for what their body's uh, able to handle. So bring back the fat a little bit and maybe increase their protein and try that for a while. If that is the issue, um, you can give some digestive enzymes to help your body break down fat while you're kind of building in the, the digestive power to break down fat. So digestive enzymes or uh, bitters uh, can be a great way to mitigate the nausea. People are having too much fat and even uh, the fiber sometimes in uh, the coconut, different coconut products like fat, full fat coconut milk, the inulin fiber can be really cause some GI upset and nausea for some people. Coconut oil in excess can cause some GI upset for some people. So that's something to consider. Maybe just lowering the the coconut stuff uh, in particular when you're looking at healthy fats, bring that down for a time. Um, digestive support, like I mentioned. Also things that are soothing to the gut that can be anti-nausea uh, is things like ginger tea or galangal broth, which is kind of related to ginger. These are sort of soothing things. And a, a fan that I, uh, that I like is, is fasting. Give your body a break. Just do a, wa a couple, a little water fast, maybe do a, some broth fast, like a bone broth fast or like a ginger uh, galangal broth fast if you want to just kind of calm things down if you did have something that irritated his stomach to get back on track. What my experience is from what Jody's telling us is he'll bounce back and be fine and kind of learn from that experience and not yeah. – have that that cake and or so much of it. I don't know how much he ate, but yeah. So, Will, your next best-selling book is Galangal Fasting. <laughs> <laughs> It'll sell real well. My mom will buy it. People will be like, Gal Gilligan, what? Uh <laughs> Well, Jody, thank you for that question. And thank you for listening all the way in Australia. I love Australia. I got to get back there. Have you ever been, Will? I haven't, but I've Lots of Australian friends, and they've been trying to get me to go for years. And it's just a long flight when I have It is a very long flight, yes. I don't sleep yeah. on those long flight planes, uh, plane trips to Australia. So I get there, and I'm like groggy, and it's already the next day. By the time you get there, it's a weird feeling. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that out of my followers, behind the United States, Australia is my number one That's right. patient – uh, follower following. It's interesting. I, I am not surprised. So, so we need to take keto talk on the road and hop to Australia at some time. That'd be fun. Yeah, it'd be fun. That'd be fun. Well, let's get to the keto talk mailbox portion of the show. And we have a question from Jane. This is a part of the show where we have an interesting question. And this one stood out like a sore thumb this week as interesting. Hello, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. I'm looking to have liposuction to transfer the fat to my breasts for a natural breast enhancement after going through breastfeeding and experiencing a nice weight loss thanks to keto. So, will ketosis compromise my body's ability to retain the fat that is transferred as it needs to establish a new blood supply to be able to live in the new location? I'm currently at goal weight, no longer losing weight. My initial thought is that since ketosis is a healthy state for the body to be in, it should not be a problem. But what say you, Jane? So I, I'd never heard this one before, uh, Will. Are there concerns with the inability to retain transferred breast enhancement fat 
for someone eating keto? So, uh, Jane, great question. Uh, definitely, it's on people's minds, and m- most people don't want to, you know, talk about it or ask it. Uh, this is something that I have seen uh, clinically uh, with patients that decide at some point in their care to get explants. So basically, removing uh, artificial uh, breast implants and then getting these more natural uh, breast enhancements through, through fat uh, re- relocation. I, I haven't seen any uh, negative response uh, at all. It just makes no, no no difference whatsoever because, again, you're like you said, Jane, it's a healthy state. You're eating real foods. It's not something to worry about from my clinical experience. And there are no studies, at least that I know of, uh, that would say contrary or for, but just from my clinical experience and seeing patients that get this procedure and eat the ketogenic diet, I don't see it being a problem. Well, and especially since she's at goal weight, if she was still actively losing weight, Uh, A lot of women say that they lose uh, weight in that area of their body. And so you could it would stand to reason if that was still happening. But the fact she's at goal weight should not be an issue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jane, thank you for that question. And we are up to the iTunes review portion of the show. And the review is from Camera Ma'am. A must listen. You're going to get so much information in every episode. You might listen to some of them twice. Jimmy and Dr. Will do an amazing job each episode. They take listener questions, comment on the latest health articles in pop culture, and go over the latest health studies. So thank you for that. And if you'd like to leave us a review over at Apple Podcast, hop on over there, type in Keto Talk, Jimmy Moore, Will Cole. You will find the show and you too can leave us your review. Make sure you refer to Will as Dr. Pooptacular, though. He likes that. So (laughs) blow out the SIBO. That was the best part of this show today. (laughs) That's it, you guys, for episode 135 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. KetoTalk.com for full show notes for this and every episode. KetoTalkFB.com if you like to hang out on Facebook and interact with your fellow Ketonians. So until next Thursday, we'll see you then. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you love Keto Talk, then drop us a review at iTunes. Thanks for joining us for today's episode, and we'll see you again next Thursday. Disc. Disc.